0: The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 13 to 23. You can find it printed on page 9 of your worship folder. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Rama, wailing in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared, suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were speak, seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel, But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warmed in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection.
1: Please pray with me. Lord, you tell us that where two or three are gathered, you are here in the midst, and we thank you for joining our community. I ask you today that you would help us to hear what each of us needs to hear. In your name I pray, amen. In the summer of 1990, I took a road trip with my sister and my nephew, who was four at the time and we went to Southern California. So of course Disneyland was first on the agenda, and then we were gonna spend the day in Hollywood, and for the rest of the vacation, we were gonna spend time with our aunt who lived in Santa Barbara. On the day we left Los Angeles for Santa Barbara, we left late in the afternoon, and as we're driving, we noticed like way off in the distance, it looked like there's some smoke, and there's some you know, grasslands out there. We didn't think much of it, and the closer we got, the more it looked like that's not as far away as we thought it was going to be. So we stopped for dinner in Ventura and asked around and it turns out there was a fire in the Santa Barbara Hills and it was moving towards the city. So we went to a pay phone and called our aunt and turns out they were on alert and might need to evacuate that night. So we thought, oh, I guess after dinner we'll get back on 101 North and go all the way back to the Bay Area then. As we did so, the traffic got slower, the smoke got heavier, and so we got back off the freeway, went to a Chevron, and the mood had changed from concern to panic. So we went into the gas station to get an update, and we learned that the fire had not only reached the populated area, it had crossed the freeway, and people were abandoning their cars on the freeway we had just been on. So we thought, oh, We had no choice but to get back on the freeway, but going south, and we needed to find a highway that would take us over to I-5. And we did that, fueled by that adrenaline rush of the near-miss of what seemed like we almost were part of that group that had to abandon their cars. We drove most of the night, we got home, we were safe. Disappointed, but safe. And um, that was probably the most memorable part of that vacation, though. But Matthew's nativity includes an adrenaline rush that we don't see in Luke. Matthew's nativity story has some troublesome details that Luke doesn't include, because this version of the story disrupts our upbeat Christmas celebration. This version draws our attention to Herod. Here we read about a heartbreaking massacre. Where Luke's gospel portrays our holy family with serene adoration, Matthew includes a much darker side to the story. Today's text shows us that Jesus was a vulnerable king. He entered our story under the rule of Herod, the murderous king, and he was placed in Joseph and Mary's care, and they were the community that Jesus needed to survive. So, The Gospel of Matthew spends time connecting the life of Jesus to the history of the Jewish people. Matthew's original audience is most likely Jewish, and he doesn't want them to miss the connection that might let them know that Jesus is the Messiah. So after the visit where the angel explains Mary's pregnancy to Joseph, Matthew connects this to a prophecy from the book of Isaiah. Behold, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and she will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus intentionally gives up his seat of heavenly power and entered our story utterly powerless. Jesus doesn't sit above humanity in judgment. He entered the story and experienced some of what we experience. Joseph and Mary leave Bethlehem and run to Egypt to protect Jesus from certain death. This recalls how Egypt had been a life-saving refuge in their history. Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, And his sons had to, they were forced from their land during a time of great famine, and they went to Egypt where their brother Joseph had stored up food in his position there, and their family survived. And this sudden flight that Joseph, Mary, and Jesus have to take also recalls imagery of the first Passover where the Israelites had to leave Egypt and their life was on the line, and they had to leave in the middle of the night with no time to plan or pack. And Matthew wants his readers to see these connections. Jesus is walking in the footsteps of his people, his community. Through the incarnation, God entered our world in the person of Jesus. The scriptures tell us Jesus experienced temptations, hunger, physical weakness, emotions, and in this story, we see that Jesus started to experience these things from day one. From his earliest human memories, Jesus would know what it was like to be poor, homeless, and running for his life. Matthew's Gospel tells us more than just the facts from Jesus' childhood. Matthew tells us a deeper truth, that Jesus experienced what it's like to be vulnerable. In our text, we see Joseph didn't waste any time. They left that night. For all he knew, the soldiers were on their way. He couldn't afford to wait and see if the dream was true. They needed to get on the road immediately. He wakes Mary, who probably wakes sleeping toddler Jesus. I don't know, like waking a toddler in the middle of the night when you have to hurry and be quiet maybe, that just seems like it was probably its own challenge. But I imagine any of us would just be in utter shock and panic in this situation. When they responded to the angel's message, Were they talking loud and anxiously? Were they really quiet and efficient? Even a two-year-old can sense when something is wrong. Jesus probably sensed the panic, the sadness, the confusion. Many of us have experienced a threat to our safety. There's an adrenaline rush that can bring on physical shaking in an instant. And sometimes we experience this kind of wake-up call when we're just a child. And this is disorienting, even more disorienting when you're little, and Jesus knows what that feels like. Jesus grew up with memories of being hunted by a king and forced to start out life displaced. Emmanuel means God with us. And here we see that God is also with us where our pain lives. Back in Judea, we have Herod, the murderous king. King Herod realizes the Magi aren't coming back, and his reaction is extreme. He feels threatened by the news of Jesus, and he orders all of the baby boys under the age of two to be killed. Herod is a power-hungry king with a very fragile ego. Herod's reaction to the news of Jesus' birth is a vital part of this story. Matthew's Gospel shows us the dichotomy between Jesus, the vulnerable king, and the tyranny of Herod. Just like so much of life, hope and joy live under the shadow of lament. King Herod was vicious and protective of his seat on the throne. Earlier in his life, he became suspicious of his second wife, and his response was to have her killed, have all of their children killed, and to have all of her family killed. The violence in our text is consistent with the capricious outbursts that Herod has when he feels threatened. And this devastating murder of innocent children is an attempt to preserve his throne. And this part of the story echoes the life of Moses. The king of Egypt started to fear the size of the Hebrew population, and he ordered the midwives to kill the baby boys born to Hebrew women. And it was within that reality that Moses was born. Here again, Matthew includes details to show how Jesus identifies with his community. The incarnation could have happened at any point in history. God saw fit to send Jesus to be born as part of an occupied and powerless people group. He's born during the reign of a jealous king. But why jeopardize the bigger plan of salvation while Jesus is still just a baby? This just seems like God took a lot of unnecessary risks. Why isn't the early life of Jesus more protected? Why go through all of this? This is an act of love. The incarnation and God's work of salvation isn't just about atonement and providing us with a ticket to heaven. Jesus identifies with the history of his people and... Jesus identifies with us in our suffering because he loves us. Our text includes a quote from a prophet who poetically tells us about the wailing of those in grief. This kind of outward and communal grief is also called lament. I don't think we lament enough in the presence of trusted community. When we are visited with tragedy, as Bethlehem was... It's tempting to avoid the pain or to try to drown out the pain, but we won't find healing until we grieve the pain, and if possible, in the context of community. Our text also features Joseph and Mary, Jesus' first earthly community, his parents, the people that nurtured and cared for him, the people that saved his life. When Joseph gets the second dream that they can return to Judea, he doesn't take any chances. Herod's son is on the throne there, so Joseph decides to take the family to Nazareth. He altered the course of his own life for Jesus. Joseph is proactive and wise, and Jesus survived infancy because of Joseph and Mary. A little over 50 years ago today, I almost died. I can hear somebody thinking, really, Melissa, how do you know the exact date? That was a long time ago. Well, my near-death experience happened on the day I was born. While I was being cared for by the nurses, they fed me formula, which was pretty standard at that time, but I had an allergic reaction, and I started having trouble breathing, and I was suffocating, and they had to pump my stomach. I mean, the details are a little blurry, but I survived. (laughs) But I'm only standing here today because of trained, fast-acting doctors. We need community. We need relationships, we need other people. I know these are extreme examples, uh, but even if you haven't been rescued from certain death, you still need community, because we are made for community. We are made to give and receive love. This is how God relates to us, and this is how God exists in the community of the Trinity, giving and receiving love. God doesn't save us transactionally. God saves and transforms us relationally. And sometimes this happens directly in our relationship to God, and sometimes this happens between each other in community. In my work at City Church, I work with volunteers who want to serve in our city, and I also participate in some of these ministries directly, and I get to see firsthand how our work not only meets a practical need, but meets this need for community for people we're serving, as well as for our volunteers, and for myself. I see this in our work at City Hope Community Center in the Tenderloin. In this work, we create space, we create living room space for for those without enough living space. And our neighbors build relationships with us and with each other. And we share our lives with people through ordinary interactions. We have fun together, we sing together, People have let me in on their celebrations, a new job. Some people have asked me to pray for them. Some people have asked me to facilitate reconciliation with other community members. This is community, joyful, gritty, vulnerable community. I see this when I lead worship in our county jail. When I first started going to county jail fellowship, I thought I was simply providing a worship service for people who happen to be incarcerated. The first night I went, I was terrified. (laughs) But I've been a part of this ministry for six and a half years now, and now it's a worship service that I may lead, but I am also a part of it. This is my community, joyful, vulnerable community. I see this in county jail when we ask the women for their prayer requests, and with everything that they've been through, they often also ask for requests for other people, sometimes their family, but sometimes their bunkmate, sometimes for the deputies, sometimes for us volunteers. I once sat and listened as a woman could barely get through her prayer request, she was sobbing so much. This is community, vulnerable community, and this is good for the soul. We all need a place where we can do this. We need people who know us, Some people will stick by our side, some will disappoint us, sometimes both. I believe we instinctively desire community. And this is why it's so frustrating when you're texting somebody and then you see those three dots that blink for a while and then they just disappear and you're like, what, what were you gonna say? We desire community. I don't wanna prod you towards false hopes. Some people will betray us and some people need to be avoided for our own safety but some people will minister the love of God to us, and we will do the same for others. God uses community as part of our transformation for our encouragement and to teach us how to love. Jesus had community with Joseph and Mary and his siblings, and later we see Jesus cultivate community with his disciples, with Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, and he also continued to spend time in prayer. Having trusted community is emotionally healthy and spiritually necessary. Consider the various communities you're connected to. Do you have people you can trust, people you can be vulnerable with, people that can be vulnerable with you? If you do, nurture those relationships. If you don't reflect on that, do you sense that need? Why is this missing from your life? Maybe you feel stuck for any number of reasons, Vulnerability can be threatening, even impossible. Pain or betrayal may tempt us to isolate. Prayer might be the place to start. Through prayer, we strengthen our relationship with God, who can help transform us and strengthen our relationships to other people. If you're wondering, where would I find this community? Well, we have community groups here at City Church, and these are groups of 10 to 15 people that meet throughout the week in people's homes, and in a couple of weeks we're going to have sign-ups for new community groups. Maybe that would be something you would wanna do if you're not in community. But some of you may need to work on past hurts first before you even wanna take that step, in which case maybe you might wanna call the counseling center and make an appointment and talk through some of those things. You may consider that as a step towards healing. Jesus knows what you've been through. There is hope. Jesus, the vulnerable king, gave up everything to bring us his love. The love he gives isn't just for ourselves. God's love is meant to flow through us to others. Let us head into this new year willing to move towards more community let Jesus transform you into vulnerable people who are able to give and receive love. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you for coming down and being a part of our community here. Thank you for being a part of our earthly community and inviting us to be a part of your community. Please help us to grow in the knowledge of your love. Amen.